I just wanted to say this morning that uh, we started a study last week in, in James uh, with youth. And so we're just picking up where we left off. And you know what? This is just, we're just reading through the book of James. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go to James chapter 1. And we're going to continue um, talking through the book and figuring out what James is trying to tell us and how he's trying to communicate to us. Uh, but the cool thing I, I like about James, now James is, is a hard book to read because it's like in your face, right? Uh, it's very in your face, uh, but he's very practical. And that's the thing that I, I like so much about the book of James is that it's practical application. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes you read scripture and you're like, man, how do I even apply that to my life today? I just read what you're telling me to do, but how do I actually put that into play? James, James makes it clear to us. As he tells us, as he, as he teaches, as he writes through uh, his letter, he's writing and he's t- teaching us very practically how to do some things, and how to apply some things um, in life. And actually, there seems to be, uh, I think there's 108 or 105 verses total in the book of James. And there's like, there's like a command, like every other verse. There's something to put into play, every other verse. And so I, just, I think that's a cool thing for us to think through. And, and to walk through. Uh, we stopped last week. Uh, we read through, uh, verses 1 through 11. And we looked at uh, a couple of key topics that James was addressing was faith and endurance and wisdom in those first 11 verses. And so we're just going to pick up this morning, starting in verse 12. We're going to read through verse 18. And let me just be honest with you as we start. Um, this topic today in verses 12 through 18 of James chapter 1 is a tough topic. Like it's a topic that we don't necessarily enjoy talking about. Uh, we don't, we don't look forward to it. Uh, it's not the most popular uh, subject, but it's a very needed subject of temptation, right? James addresses it here in these verses. It makes it very clear to us. So let's just jump in. I'm going to go ahead and read through it. Uh, read through the whole passage, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to just break it apart. So here's what it says. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. By the way, this is New Living Translation. It might read a little different than yours. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he, is never, he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us away and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights of the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we out, of, we, out of all creation, have become his prized possession. Let me pray. Father, thank you for today. God, we're just excited to be here. Thank you that we can gather this morning uh, in freedom and we can worship you. We can read your word. We can fellowship with one another. Father, I pray today as we, as we just kind of break this text down, Lord, that you would just... Um, you would, you would just give us the words that we need to hear this morning. It's like I said earlier, it's not a, an easy subject. It's not a popular subject. But God, I pray today as we just break this down, that you would make it so clear to us in our lives, that you would highlight things in our lives this morning that we just need to change. Father, we pray today 
that we don't just sit this morning and just observe or just listen, but that our hearts and our minds are actively engaged on what you have for us today. We thank you for it, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. So like I said, man, this is a difficult text. This subject is one of those things we don't necessarily want to deal with, but it's, it's very crucial in our lives. And I think the first thing that we have to understand as we read this text about temptation and about uh, being tested and being tried and all these different things that James is mentioning here is, is that we have to understand we have an enemy who is very real. And he, his goal, his mission is to just pick us off one by one. To see us running for the gospel, living for Jesus, being effective. His goal is to see that and to stop that. He wants to pick us off in our tracks. And the thing about it is as Christians, man, we are marked. We have this bullseye and Satan has his sights on us. He wants to destroy us. The main thing he wants to do is destroy our witness because if he can make the Christian ineffective in their, in their witness and in their influence, then all of a sudden you start to see the pattern of, of events that starts to happen where the gospel is no longer moving forward because the Christian's testimony is being ruined. And, and this is what we say, man. We just had several students in our student ministry this summer who accepted Christ. Uh, I'm going to share next, uh, next hour in, in worship about some, uh, just a baptism story. But the thing that we've told them and we've warned them is, hey, students, you've made a decision for Christ. You have now identified Team Jesus. Satan knows your name. He's coming after you. He's marked you. And we have to understand this because he wants to derail us and knock us off our game. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, it says that Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, Man, a guy who was, who was there beside Jesus walking through life and Jesus was pouring into Peter and he was, he was showing him the path of ministry and he was doing ministry with him. Satan actually approached Jesus and he told him, hey, look, I want to, to kind of have a moment with Peter. Like, he says, I want to sift him as if he was wheat. And that word sift is a, is a really interesting word, but the Kind of looked it up for the definition in some of the commentaries I was using. And here's one of the things that it said. It says that to sift is an inward agitation to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. In other words, he said, hey, look, I want to go after Peter because I want to ruin his life. I want to make him ineffective. And as you, as you know, Peter was the one that Jesus said, hey, I'm going to build my church on you. So you know his bullseye and his target was huge. So I just remind us this morning, as Christians, we are marked men and women. And the thing that can be scary sometimes is we're in a fight. And sometimes we might not realize that. We might just go through life day by day just not thinking about the actual battle that's taking place every day for our lives, for our soul, for our mind, for our heart. Makes me think of when I was in high school and I played football. And uh, one of the things that we did on the football team was we had to come to school early, which I hated because it was already early enough, right? But we got there an hour before school started. What was the purpose of it? It was to go and to watch film. I literally remember going into my coach's classroom, all of us defensive linemen, we go in the room, he turns the lights off, he rolls the the tape, you know, we're sitting there watching game footage of our next opponent next week. 
He's going, all right, look, look, see number 21? He's their running back. He's their star. He's just lined up here. He's going to get the ball. He's going to go there. And we're studying their film. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? If you've ever played sports, um, this is something that you do. What's the purpose of studying film? It's not just something just to add to your week to do. It's just to know your opponent, to know their, their tactics, to know their schemes, and to understand as I began to think through that, man, it wasn't a waste of time because when we would go on Friday night and suit up on the field, we were in war. We were playing against these guys, and we wanted to win. And I'm sad to say that my senior year, we went 0-10, and, and it was awful. We apparently didn't study enough film. I don't know, or maybe we just didn't have the skilled players that we needed. I don't know. But but you want to go and you want to win the battle. You don't want to go and, and, and to lose and to surrender. And so we have to understand that we are in war. And as we look at the world around us, it's obvious, man, that there is an enemy who is after our lives. And so we have to make it a point to know his tactics, to know his schemes, because James is talking about this temptation here. We have to understand the effects and the ramifications of the things that happen when we give in. So let's break this down. Verse 13. The first thing we see says, and remember when you are being tempted. Key word, when. When you are tempted. Said this last week in the first couple of verses. He says, when you experience trials. And now he's saying, hey, look, when you're tempted. Doesn't say if you're tempted. In other words, he says, hey, look, temptation is one of those things that you can just be sure is going to happen in life. It is a certainty of being a follower of Christ as there will be temptations to come. But here's the key. Temptation in itself is not a sin. Being tempted is not a sin because I've talked to people before. It's like, man, I just know that I'm being tempted in this area, so I just got to be an awful person because he's coming after me. In this area, but I, I think my personal belief is is that when you're being tempted, it's just proof that you're walking with Jesus. Because as you are effective for the gospel and you're moving forward and you're pursuing Jesus, Satan, like I said, he's trying to derail us, so he's going to put those things in front of us to trip us up. He says, "When tempted, and the greater level of commitment and service and responsibility to God that we have, the bigger target, the bigger level." of corresponding temptation that we have to experience. We're going to be experiencing in life. So we have to be ready for that. We've got to embrace that and be, be ready to be tempted. It says, when tempted. However, temptation is not a sin. It's the thing that follows the temptation. That's the sin that can become sin in our life. We know temptation in itself isn't a sin. Why? Because even Jesus was tempted. We know he was perfect. So that couldn't be a sin that he was tempted In Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. See, Jesus, the cool thing that I love about this is our high priest, Jesus, man, he's able to get on our level when it comes to temptation. Like, he gets it. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced that in life where you have a person coming up alongside of you and maybe you're going through a really, really tough time and they're like, I just, I know how you feel. And I'm like, do you really? Have you really experienced that? Or is that just a saying that we use sometimes, right? Oh, I, I know how you feel, brother. And like, no, you don't. You haven't experienced this in your life, like for me. And I, you know, I, I've done this before. Looking back, I'm like, why do I do that? 
I thank the Lord. I mean, to this point, I'm almost 31 years old and I still have four living grandparents. I have all my, like I have not really experienced a big loss of family in my life. And like Megan, my wife, on the other hand, she's lost several, she's lost several grandparents and she's lost several, uh, you know, family members. And I just, I can't go to her and say, honey, I know how it feels to lose your grandma because my grandmas are still here. Like, does that make sense? What we're saying here, what he's saying here in Hebrews 4 is that, that Jesus can get on our level. He understands because he's been there. He's faced it. You know, in, 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 the, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4, you see, you see that temptation of Jesus, of Satan in the wilderness. They're there. They're having a conversation. Which I, I don't know. I kind of thought that's weird. Like the more I think about that, like Jesus and Satan were hanging out in the wilderness together. That's kind of strange. Like, you know, did they just leave Chick-fil-A and now they're just wondering, you know, I don't know what the deal was, but they're there together. And, and, uh, and they're having this conversation and Satan is doing his best to bring these temptations before Jesus. And he's throwing these things in his face and he gives them those three temptations. You know, he talks about the stones. He says, Hey, if you're hungry, because Jesus was, was fasting. So clearly he didn't just leave Chick-fil-A. Okay. But the stone says, turn these stones into bread. Jesus, you're hungry. You're Jesus. You can do this. Turn those stones into bread. He's talking about the lust of the flesh there. He says, Hey, look, you're Jesus. You can have all these, you can have the kingdoms of all this, of all this. If you would just bow to me and worship me, Satan says, and Jesus is like, please, man. So this is the lust of the eyes. I'm not going after that. And then he says, hey, look, Jesus, you know, throw yourself off the cliff. And if you are really God, then you can call angels in to save you. He says, look, man, this is the, ten, this is a temptation of the pride of life. And I'm not going to give into that. I'm standing firm. And you know that every time he was faced with a temptation, he came back with scripture. He said, for it is written, for it is written, for it is written. So Jesus was tempted, and so are we. And this is a a very real experience in our lives. So verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. This isn't just a little theological nugget that James is like trying to incorporate here and kind of throw our way. Because remember, this book is all about practical application. So it says, hey, look, God is going to test you and God's going to try you, but the purpose of a trial is to make you stronger. The purpose of a temptation is to just ruin you, right? So this is what he's saying here. He says, he's going to try you. He's not going to tempt you. It doesn't come from him. Don't ever entertain that thought talked to people before who said that, you know, why is God just tempting me in this area? Like, why is he setting me up to fail? That's not God. That is the enemy. James wants us to learn in this moment. What he's trying to teach us is that when we are faced with temptation or this opportunity to sin, he wants us to develop the ability to discern the situation and to say, hey, look, God is not in this. God is not in this thing right now. And I have realized that I've identified that. And now I have to do one thing. I have to remove myself from it. I'm not going to be placing myself in this position to fail. And so when, whenever we're on the verge of temptation, James is saying, man, run. You got to leave. You got to flee. And because you got to know that God is not in that. And maybe for some of us today, talking about temptation 
you're able to identify a little bit because maybe you're you're even on the on the verge. Like I said, you're kind of flirting with a, with these a few maybe something in your life you're flirting with, and you know God's not in it. You know God's not in it. Maybe it's in a business deal. You know, you know what's well. Company policies are really loose, and so I can probably take advantage of the system here. You know, there's this temptation for me to to manipulate or to do this. Look, God's not in that. Maybe it's a it's a situation of gossip, you know, and you you're placing yourself in situations where this is something that you're flirting with. You need to run from it, or maybe it's anger, and you're just struggling with anger, or jealousy, or bitterness, or lust, or whatever it is in your life. You are flirting with it. It's time to stop flirting with that thing and to remove yourself from it. Because if God is not in it, then we need to get out of it. So when you start having red flags go up in your life. You got to move, you got to get away, you got to get out. Why? Because every perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights. And He ain't going to throw red flags in your face. He's throwing good things. So God will never tempt you because He's holy, He's pure, He's right, and He provides every good gift. Instead, verse 14, James is saying, here's how temptation happens. Remember, it's not God, but here's how it happens. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. By his own evil desire, it says. It doesn't say that we're tempted because the devil made us do it. That is a lame excuse. Why did you fall into that sin? Well, the devil made me do it. No, no, not according to what James is saying. He's saying that by our own evil desire, it's our own choice. It's the evil within us, the battle that we're fighting. We have, have willfully walked into that temptation and given in. The evil desire that entices us and drags us away. And I think the challenge for us, we talk about temptation, is we just want to immediately go to the big ones, to the big sins, Right? But what about those small ones too? What about those small things? It's our own evil desire. It's our own doing. You know, and I th- when we think about that, we all have our own poison that we choose. It's weird to think about it like that. See, your sin might not appeal to me. And my sin might not appeal to you because we all kind of have our own poison, our own flavor. Our own thing, right? But the devil knows. He knows what your weakness is. He knows what my weakness is. He knows what the differences are. And he knows how to trap us and to tempt us and to put us in situations where we can either grow and and we can walk away from it and, and get closer to the Lord or we can fall into it and stumble. And he uses, he knows what they are and he will use them over and over and over again. He can use someone else to bring you down. That's so why we talk to our students all the time about, about your friend circles. Man, your friendship circles matter. Because your friends are either pointing you toward Jesus or they're pointing you away from Jesus. There's not this middle ground. And so you've got to understand that he can use somebody else to bring us down as well. And he knows exactly what it is that can, can knock us down. But this word enticed, 
I want to just look at this word for a moment. He says, this is the own evil desire that drags us away and entices us. This is a, a word that it translated from the Greek. It actually means to bait the hook. Anybody like to fish? I know we got one fisherman for sure. Anybody else like to fish? Okay, and you know, you know I grew up in Florida. I grew up on the, on the, uh, on the Atlantic Ocean side of Florida, over there, right, you know, about an hour south of Orlando, about four miles to the ocean. That's crazy, right? But I just didn't like the ocean back then because it was like, there's sand and, you know, sharks and all this kind of stuff. It's crazy. But anyway, I grew up fishing out there in the ocean, and, and it was one of those things that you just realized you had to learn there were certain things. If you're fishing for a certain kind of fish, there are certain baits that will attract that fish. You know? And there's some fish that are just so dumb, they bite anything you throw in the water. Like... You know, this is weird, but I remember being a kid, like going to this restaurant, they had catfish everywhere, and you just lean over the balcony and just spit in the water. And they'd be like, I'm like, you're dumb. But that was, I don't know, maybe that was their bait. I don't know. But but we had to know what to bait our hook with. And here's the thing, man. Don't miss the imagery here. Baiting the hook. Satan knows our bait. And he puts it in front of us. And it looks all shiny. And it looks right and it looks real. I've seen some pretty, some pretty legit like lures that have looked like when you reel them through the water, they look really extremely real. It looks like the real thing. And the moment you sink into that thing, you realize this ain't right. Because, you know, and you're, you're done and you're, you're ended up on someone's grill that night. And so it's just not a good thing. But he knows what to bait our hook with. He entices us. He lures us away. I think sometimes we have this false idea that temptation and the devil show up on our front door with his little horns and his pitchfork and, you know, hi, I'm here to, can Johnny come out and play? You know, that's not what he's doing. He comes in the crafty ways. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Remember, it says that the snake, the serpent was the craftiest of all. He came in the, in the, in the quiet moments and he was, he was very creative in how he would approach this, this topic of temptation and sin. Man, I was reading this story and I heard it, I heard it once. I kind of had to go read it for myself because it just didn't sound right. And it sounded kind of weird, but this is true. Eskimos. Eskimos. I've never really been around them. I don't know much about them, but I know this one story. This is true. This is a tactic that they use. You know, and these Eskimos would be their whatever, igloos or whatever they're doing, the thing. You know, they're in their circles of community and they would have these wolves that would come in to destroy them, right? Looking for dinner. One of the ways they would fight the wolves off was they would take a sharp blade, like a knife, and they would dip it in some blood, and they would set it outside to freeze. And it would become a blood popsicle, I guess. And then they would do this again. They would, more blood, freeze it. More blood. They would do this several times until there were several layers of like frozen blood on this knife. Then they would take, now this is kind of graphic. I know it's early in the morning. I'm sorry if your kolache is coming up right now, but follow me. So you got this knife and he would take this and he would stick the hand, they would stick the handle of the knife. So the blade is sticking out of the surface of the ground. And these wolves would come up and they would begin to smell the scent of blood and it would draw them in because that's what they were attracted to. And so they would come in and they would see that thing and they would literally start licking that knife and they would start to taste blood. You know, their heart probably started racing and they started really getting into it. And they kept licking that thing and they would lick that thing and there's blood and there's blood and there's blood. Before you know it, they'd licked all the blood off and now they're just licking a blade. But they're still tasting blood and it's their own, right? I know it's weird. I'm sorry, like I said. 
There's restrooms in the back. Um, but eventually they would begin to, to lick that and they would just, they would begin to, to lick themselves at that because they would bleed out before you know it. They were just feeding on their own blood and it's gross. I know it's graphic, but don't miss the imagery here. Maybe you should miss the imagery, but don't miss the point. The point is he used, they would use this knife to attract them and ultimately to lead them to their own death. And this is exactly what our enemy does. He baits the hook and he sits back and just watches and says, they're going to just have their own way and they're going to destroy themselves. And we've got to be stronger than that. This is what James is trying to, to teach us. You've been enticed, you've been, you've been dragged away and you don't even realize it, but you're, you're choking, you're killing yourself on your own evil desire. And so I would just say this morning, it's time for us maybe to surrender some of these things in our life, these baits that hold us back or that slow us down and, and give God full control over those things. Remember, if God's not in it, we got to get out of it. So James continues, verse 15. Then after the evil desire has conceived, it gives birth to, us to, to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Notice that progression. Evil desire, when you act on the evil desire, it gives birth to sin. The sin is fully grown, gives birth to death. We have to know. James is saying you got to know what your own weakness and your own poison is. Because it's going to lead you to your death if you don't get out and you don't run from it. It's going to take you out. Man, I mean, it's sad, but there are, like for me, being a, being a pastor, there, there's a bullseye on my back. You know, he wants to destroy my witness. And it's sad to say, but I've seen some, some pretty well-known pastors over the last year who've had to step down from ministry because of failure, moral failure in certain areas. And the thing about it is, that's exactly what Satan was going for. That small thing that eventually gave birth to sin, that eventually led to taking them out and, and making this impact in their life. And it's sad, and I just pray, hey man, I, I gotta be guarded, and I just pray only by God's strength. Can we do that? Can we, can we exist and not fall into the trap? So James 6, uh, verse 116 says this, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. See, after we understand the evil desire is there, it's there. We can't get rid of it. It's, it's just part of our sin nature is, is what, we've been, uh, what we've been condemned with because of the fall, Right? But we've got to, now we have to do something about it. We have to arm ourselves. We have to prepare ourselves with what God has given all around us. It says in verse 17 that he, he is, he, every good and perfect gift is from above. So I was just thinking, man, what are some of the good and perfect things that God gives us? Like, how do we equip ourselves? How do we fight this temptation? How do we stand firm and, and win this war? Four things that he's given us. Real quick, these are just four easy, quick things that just came to me just like that. There's, this list is, can go so much longer, but these are just four kind of big ones. First of all, he's given us the Holy Spirit. 
He's giving us the Holy Spirit. I was reading this week and doing my, uh, my quiet time. And this verse, this passage was one I, I went through this week at Luke 11. Uh, in verse 13, he says, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us this good and perfect gift of his Spirit. That's key. That's the first step right there. That is the first thing that we have to have is the spirit of God living within us. The second thing I was thinking is he gives us his word. He gives us a copy of of his manual for life and instruction and how to to stand firm. In Ephesians 6, as you read through the armor of God, it talks about all these different pieces of our defense. But it gives one weapon. What is it? Somebody help me out. Grenade? No. Sword. It's a sword. That's, he, says, he says to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible is a sword. Start using it. We've got to start using it. But the key is we've got to know how to use the sword. We've got to know how to use it and how to, how to arm ourselves with the Word of God. He's given us His Word. He's given us His Spirit. He's also given us other believers we don't come here on Sundays and on Wednesdays and meet in life groups and meet in core groups and meet in all these different group settings and community groups and all these things. We don't do that just for something else to add to our agenda. We do that to come together and to strengthen one another. The book of Ecclesiastes in verse four, chapter 4, verse 12, it says, A person, this is so cool, it ties in so neatly, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So what's he saying? We're created to do life together. We're created to to, to lock arms and to move forward in the Christian battle. There was a song I used to sing growing up in my church. I don't know if we've ever sung it here. Maybe it's been a while, but we have. But it's called Onward Christian Soldiers. Anybody ever heard this song? Onward. Okay, I'm not going to sing it for you because you'll anyway um but onward christian soldiers that is that is that is what we are we, we are called to lock arms and to move forward but sometimes i think we live our lives like christian retreaters who are just running we see the enemy coming and instead of us running to to slay it with the sword Think of your best battle movie and they just charge and just slice, right? Instead of that, we're, we're running and we're just, we're cowering down, but we have, we have the greater hope within us. Scripture says, if God can be for us, who can be against us? We've got Jesus and we've got the Lord on our side. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his word. He's given us other believers. And the fourth thing that, uh, that I just think of this morning is this is really, really key. He's given us eternal life. That's a hope that we have to look forward to. That's a hope. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Talked about that already in James. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus, our Lord. This is these good and perfect gifts coming down from the Father of lights And he alone is the one who is worthy of our worship. He is beautiful. He is pure. 
And we are called to follow him and him alone, not to follow these temptations of our heart. Like I said, these are just a few things, a few gifts that he's given, but the list goes on and on and on. And so it's time for us, maybe for us, the way that we start to win the war on temptation is instead of focusing on the temptation itself, what if we shifted our focus and we just looked at these good and perfect things that God has given us and we made that our focus? We don't have time to be distracted by the temptation that's in front of us because I'm too busy worshiping God. I'm too busy following what he wants for me. I'm too busy locked in, knowing that he's given me eternal life, knowing me he's given his word, he's given me other believers, he's giving me um, his spirit. I don't have time to worry about that little thing. I'm focused on him. Last weekend, we were, uh, my wife and I, we were in Livingston and we were helping out with the family project over there and we went to eat dinner at this place called David Beard Catfish King. Anybody been there? There's one in Lufkin, there's one in Livingston. If you haven't been there and you like catfish, you need to try it. Anyway, uh, but we're there and you walk in and you sit down at the table and you order and everything, but then they have this big, nice salad bar. And I mean, it's got everything up there. Salad, dressing, all the toppings. Like they even have sunflower seeds and eggs. Like if you go somewhere and they have sunflower seeds and eggs in their toppings for their salad, then you may think that's gross, but I like it. Anyway, they have, they have all of this. They have like potato salad and macaroni salad and they have pinto beans. I mean, they have all this stuff and I know you want to go there now, right? Okay. Go try them out. Tell them I sent you, but go, when you go, they got this salad bar and you got all these wonderful choices and you start loading up your plate and you're like, go and sit down. And you start eating these things. I did this the other night. I started eating these things and I got full on salad and pinto beans. I'm like, I got a plate of catfish coming. That's what I came here for. And I didn't have the room to finish my meal because I had filled up on the salad bar. I know I've used this analogy before, but we don't have time to fill with the salad bar. Because we got something better coming. Right. And like I said, if you're a vegetarian and I'm stepping all over your toes right now, I'm sorry. Um, but 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 think about it in life. When you think about the things that God has given us versus the things of this world, the things of this world look like the salad bar. We got better things to focus on. We don't have time and effort to focus on the salad bar. We got to think about the feast that the Lord has in front of us in life. So we start looking around, we start seeing these amazing things God given us, and we make that our focus. Because here's, we got to remember what Satan's goal is. His goal is for us, it's just that one spot, that one thing, that one relationship, that one thought pattern that can blind us from everything that God has in front of us. Because if we can't get over that one thing that's in front of us, that we might not ever reach our full potential in the Lord. So today we're studying this game film. Man, we're looking through the word. We're understanding how this temptation works. It's not God who does it. God is not a part of that. This is something that comes from our own evil desire. It drags us away. It entices us. It gives birth to death. And instead of focusing on those things, we have to focus on what God has given us. We have to wrap our lives around him because we don't have time for the salad bar. There's a good and perfect gift waiting for all of us. And all we have to do is embrace it, set our eyes on it. So today I just say, hey, look, maybe you're here this morning and you're just like, you're in, the, you're in this battle right now. You're being dragged away. You're being enticed. You realize that your own evil desire 
something that you have done willfully, here's the good news. If you find yourself in that position today, here's the good news. The Bible says that it's the kindness of the Lord that brings us to repentance. God God is not, if that's you and you find yourself just so wrapped up in something right now, and maybe temptation is just, it's just all over you. You're just, you're been dragged away. You've been enticed. God is, it's his kindness that's going to lead you to repentance. You know, he's waiting. He's waiting for you to turn around. I talked to a student a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night who said, Matt, I, I've lost my way. I, I've, I've lost my way with, with my relationship with God. I don't know where I stand. I'm so far from the Lord. There's so many things in my life. You know what I said to him? I said, look, man, you got to realize that, first of all, God hasn't moved. You have. And it's time for you, the minute that you turn around, I told him, like, think about the prodigal son, right? The minute that you turn around to run back to the father, he runs to meet you. He is waiting for you. And so for us, it's that kindness of the Lord. It's not the, it's not the Lord pushing us away and saying, get away from me. You're filthy. You're disgusting. He says, look, I got my arms wide open. Come back to me. Come back to me. And my kindness will lead to your repentance. And that is the hope that he's offering us today. That is the hope. So if you're here today and you're struggling and you've lost your way, You've, you've given in, maybe you, you've, been, you've been enticed, you've been led astray. I just want to say this morning, man, I just invite you to come back to the place you belong. At the feet of the Father. His arms are open. His heart is ready with full of kindness, ready to lead you to your repentance. And he is greater and he can overcome. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you, man, I just... As we read your word, we just have to thank you for the authors. A guy like James, who was willing to communicate some really tough truth to these Christians who needed it. Lord, the amazing thing is, here we are today, 2,000 plus years later, and we're reading the same text, but it still applies to us even right now. Father, I pray today in this room that as we've, we've talked about this issue of temptation, we've, we've kind of broken it down, we've looked at these things, my prayer is that today that we would realize that in you we have victory. Lord, that, that we don't have to be a slave to this temptation or this sin because we have life in you. I pray that we would realize that, that we would, we would identify the thing in our life or the, the, the poison that we have chosen and that we would say, God, you are not in that and I'm going to run from it. I've got my sights set on you. I thank you for the good and perfect gifts you give. And that's my focus. That's where my strength comes from. Father, we're thankful that when we, even in times of weakness, and in times of trial and temptation and failure, Father, we thank you that your arms are always open wide, willing to forgive and willing to love us right where we are. So I pray today, Father, for those who might be identifying with that, just for strength, for power to confess and to to turn and to run. Father, for others who maybe have just come out of something, maybe they've come out of a storm, they've come out of a battle, I just pray for continued strength in them as well. Father, we know that, uh, that we can't get prideful about that. 
We just have to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. It's because of your grace. It's because of your mercy that I'm, I'm, I'm out of that valley. And so I just pray for those today who are already on the, the other side of it, Lord, for, for encouragement for others. My prayer is that we would lock arms as Christians. And Lord, we would press forward in this fight to defeat our enemy through your strength. We thank you for all these things you do for us. In your name we pray. Amen.